following sermon is brought to you by Genuine, the college ministry of Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. More information about our ministry is available at www.cogginchurch.org forward slash university. You've got your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to finish out chapter 1 tonight. Uh... Going to finish out chapter one, and then next week we'll start in on chapter start in on chapter two. So one of the things that Peter is about to teach us um, is this: is that relationship changes everything. Right? Relationships can um, can completely alter how you view life. Okay? When I met my wife. Uh, we met, and my wife actually, she actually worked for me for a couple of summers, and um, we were just friends, and, and things were great, and then I remember one day, uh, my wife Lindsay, she walked into the, the, the youth ministry building where we worked, and my first thought was, man, she's kind of hot, and then my second thought was, that's gross, all right, like, you work with her, she, you know, she can't be hot, and uh, things kind of progressed, and about, about a year later, we were married, and listen, my relationship... It's a longer story, but that's the short version. Um, but my relationship with my wife changed, changed every relationship with every other woman. Changed, changed a lot of my relationship. Changed my relationship with my, with my friends. My relationship with, with, with my wife changed everything. It began to change and alter me. Now listen, if I wouldn't have had that a relationship with my wife, but started treating her like we were married, that would not have been good. But, but because there was relationship, there were things that began to be birthed out of that relationship that were good and holy. And here's one of the things that Peter's going um, to really try to tack in here tonight that you, need, that you need to understand is everything that he is about to say from verse 13 down to verse uh, 25 makes no sense if verses 1 through 12 haven't happened to you. Okay? Look here in verse 13. Let's read this together, and then we're going to pray. He says this, Therefore, okay? All of what he is about to say is grounded in verses 1 and 12. Therefore, because verses 1 through 12, and, and here's what 1 through 12 is, because you have been born of God... Because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you have been born into a living hope. Because the Father keeps you. Because you have been given an inheritance. Because there is confidence in the promises of God. Because there is relationship, now live this way. The order of that matters. It matters because what God has done always grounds how you and I live as believers. Listen here. What God has done grounds and empowers what we now do. And the order of that matters because the gospel matters. The gospel is not do these things so that you will be loved. The gospel is you are loved. So now do these things. 
when you flip that order, you make a relationship with God just mere religious duty. And at best, you become a Pharisee who can keep it. Or at worst, you just become trapped in these cycles of hopelessness and despair because in your own power, you can't live up to your own standards and morality that you set for yourself. All right, so listen, the order matters because, therefore, because this is who you are now in Christ, this. Don't get that order out of whack, all right? So here's what he says. Now I promise we're going to read, okay? Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We just sung about that. Be thou my vision is all about the song about seeing God correctly. Um, King of my heart, um, all of my hope, all of my hope is in you. We just got done singing about this. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. We're going to have to unpack that. All right. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. All right, let's pray. And then I'm going to unpack. There's four commands in those passages. First time we're getting to commands. Everything up to this point has been about what you are to believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has done for you and is now doing in you. And now this begins to go not from just your head and your heart, but out, out to your hands and how you live. Let's pray and then we'll unpack four things we see here. All right. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for tonight, man. I love that we are getting to get together to open your word, to look at it. Lord, I pray that you would just, Lord, my prayer is that you would continue to work tonight, that the spirit would, would, um, Lord, would break the proud, would warn, um, warn the wayward, would encourage the obedient that, Lord, you know exactly where every single person is sitting inside of this room. And Father, my prayer is that tonight that your spirit would apply this word that, that is preached tonight, um, that you would help me preach it well in a way that is in accordance with the text, that is true to what is what is here. 
um, that you would guard my mouth so that I would say only things that are coming from your word here tonight. Um, And Father, that your spirit would apply that to our hearts this evening. At at the end of the night, when we're walking out of here again, Father, I want us to worship Jesus. I want us to worship Jesus to the glory of the Father. And uh, so, Lord, um, give us ears to hear tonight, eyes to see, um, and hearts to believe. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would be challenged by your word to live into these four commands that you now call us to, knowing that since we are now sons and daughters of the King, we have been empowered to live this way. We have been called to live this way. And the path of joy in life is found in obedience to the things that you call us to here. Father, I pray that we'd see that tonight and we would love and long to live into, live into this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's what he's going to say. There's four commands that begin to come out. If you are an elect exile, if you've been born of God, if you have this relationship, four things that, four ways that he's going to call us to live. Here's the first thing he's going to say. Live in hope. Live in, live in hope. This is the first command. We see it here in verse 13. It's kind of towards the end of verse 13. It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, hope here is a confident expectation. He's saying, listen, it's the same thing that he just got done saying in verse seven, a little earlier up. He says, as a believer, we have this hope and this hope is unshakable. And this hope is going to be fully revealed and fully given when Jesus, our great savior and Lord returns. And Peter here says, fix your eyes on that hope in that and set your hope fully. Listen, do you think, do you ever stop and just ponder about what is coming for you on the day when Jesus returns? That sin and death will be forever removed and done away with the reunions that will happen, that you will see Jesus face to face. Have you ever just thought and pondered about the hope that this gives you and I as we think about what is coming for us when Christ returns? And Peter here is saying, fix your hope fully on that. Don't accept any substitutes. Don't accept any substitute. The world is going to offer you substitutes for hope, they will be temporary and short-lived. At best, a substitute will last you 50 or 60 years. At best, Christ and hope that we have in him will last for eternity. Unperishable, unfading. This is the hope that we have. So he says, fix your hope, live in hope. And man, as I look around culture today, people need hope. People need hope. There are so many reasons that that we have to look out and begin to throw our hands up and say, there's no hope. But for the believer, that is never the mantra of the believer. That's never what the believer says, because we have a hope that is firmly fixed and rooted and planted in Jesus. And he never fails. So he says, live in hope, live in hope. Think often about what is coming for you when Christ returns. Think about that. Ponder that day. 
And, 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 and so two things that we do to do that, all right? The first thing he says here is in the beginning of verse 13, prepare your minds. It, it's, it's ironic to me that both of the things, both of the command, uh, things that he is going to give to root you living in hope have to do with your mind. The enemy is going to attack your mind. The place where he's going to try to rob hope from you is in your mind, in your thoughts. So he says the first thing here is prepare your mind means get ready. Have you ever have you ever walked into a test unprepared? Do you ever get that feeling when you're not prepared and the things that kind of there's a restlessness, there's an anxiousness, there's maybe those like like Hail Mary prayers, you know, that you throw up because uh, because you are not ready to take the test. He says, you, you don't want to be like that. As you live as an elect exile here, and this place is not your home, and there's hope substitutes coming at you, or there's every reason not to hope, prepare your mind for action. Get ready, but not, not just prepare your mind, but be sober-minded. Not just get ready, but think Think rightly. Listen, this is why if you are around here for very long at all, we are constantly pushing you to get into your Bible. Get to know Jesus and get to know him incredibly well. Memorize scripture because here to be sober minded, all right, is to have your mind influenced by the truth. And if you want to know what truth is, if you want to know capital R reality, reality, you have to be in the word. So the first thing he says here is, listen, as an elect exile, live in hope. You and I, I don't care what the circumstances are in my life and your life right now. You and I have more reason to hope than anyone because of what is coming for us. Think about it. Think about it often. Because if you're hoping for this thing that is coming, it will spur you to live in all kind of ways. I've gotten into this, um, this TV show. I've never watched it before, but my wife and I totally binge watched um, this show alone. Have y'all heard about this show? Does anybody watch this show alone? Okay, let me just show you the premise. They take these people and they drop them like in the middle of, of the north, the season we watch, like the middle of the North Pole in the middle of nowhere and it's just whoever lives the longest gets a million bucks. So like they just drop them in the, they have to make shelter. One guy is fighting a Wolverine with a hatchet one night. I'm like, bro, like he is living the rugged life. He's out there. He's, he's catching like, it's, it's crazy. And, I, and I'm, I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, why in the world would anyone endure this kind of thing? And the answer was because of what's coming. And I look at that, and at that moment, I'm thinking, Lord, they're willing to endure all of this for something that will perish. But man, if I would just fix my hope on what is coming for me, what this could bolster in my life, how this could cause me to run the race of faith well. Listen, elect exile. Peter, there's suffering coming. He sees it on the, right, uh, the horizon, and he's telling them, live in Live in hope. Here's the second thing that he's going to say. All right, don't just live in hope. But the second thing is this, live in holiness. Live in holiness. Now listen, you and I, 
Jesus followers, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, okay, you're a disciple of Jesus and you're an apprentice of Jesus, one of the things that is to mark your life is holiness because you, you, you look to pursue holiness because your father is holy. Look at what he says here in verse 14. As obedient children. So, so you've been born of God, brought into this family. So there should be a familial likeness with your father. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's what he's saying. Listen, man, when you become a child of the living king, when you become born of God, you begin to live differently. You begin to leave the old life behind. He says, don't live, um, do not be conformed. It's this word that means to be pressed into the mold of it's like if you take jello and you pour it into the mold and then you stick it in the in the refrigerator and it freezes into that mold that it was pressed into he says listen the world used to press you into this certain type of mold but in christ that's not you anymore that's not you anymore live differently pursue pursue holiness now don't don't pursue these passions that you used to pursue in your in your former Ignorance, don't be conformed by that anymore. Live a life that is holy. And so if he's calling them and admonishing them to live a life that is holy, here's one, I think, uh, one of the things that I think we can assume from this passage. He knows that they are being tempted not to live holy. The flesh, although defeated and dethroned, still calls. The world still tries to conform you. And he says, listen, don't give in to those lies anymore. You're not ignorant. This was former ignorance. You and I now in Christ are able to see the result of where our sin was leading us. Why would we pursue that anymore? So the call here now is, man, don't, don't live that way anymore. Be different. Be different. Be be holy. And what that means, holy simply means to be set apart from sin. Um, but it's not just separated from sin, but it's also dedicated to righteousness. So holiness is not just about what you don't do. Holiness is also about what you do. It's not just about what you abstain from, but it's also about what you Give yourself to. What are you giving yourself to? He says in all of your conduct, in your thinking, in your speech, in the way that you live your life, in your relationships, in the way that you're doing your schoolwork, in the way that you're pursuing the Lord, is holiness this thing that marks your life? Because he says this, be holy because your father is holy. Here's what I mean. If you really hope in God, you can't be indifferent to whether or not you love what God loves. If you really hope in God, you cannot be indifferent to the things that he loves. We will begin to love 
the things that the Father loves. Hate the things that the Father hates. Why? Because He's our dad. He's Papa, alright? I've been born into this family. And part of what it means to be born into this family is as a son and daughter of the king, I begin to look like the king. Love what the king loves. Pursue what the king wants to pursue. So the other night I, I played sports and I'm old now, so I, I need to do a lot more stretching before I do that stuff, and I didn't. And I, I hurt my, my hip and my ankle and my knee and my shoulder and uh, pretty much everything on me. And I remember hobbling around for a couple of days like, man, I hurt, I hurt my hip. And, and a few days later, here comes my son, you know, he's kind of limping out. I'm like, hey, bro, what's wrong? He's like, oh, dad, I hurt my hip, you know. I'm like, oh, did you hurt your knee too? He's like, yeah, dad, I think I hurt my knee too. You know, I was out there on the ninja court. Yeah, dad, you know, and just like two seconds later, he's running around. I'm like, what happened to your hip, bro? You know, I was like, don't be. What was happening there? Son was imitating dad. Live holy because you've been born into this family. All right? So live in hope, live in holiness. Here's the last thing, or the, the third thing here. And I'm going to have to try to unpack some of this coming from James so you don't hear me wrong. The third thing that, that he's going to say is this, live in fear. Live in fear. Now, you may automatically be going to some places. Doesn't perfect love cast out fear? Or aren't, isn't one of the most repeated commands in Scripture, do not fear? Do not fear? So, so what do you mean by live in what do you mean by live in, live in fear? Look at where I'm getting this from. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, my question here is, what does he mean here? By, by fear. Now, fear here isn't an unjustified, um, it's not unjustified terror, all right? Um, but it is, I, I believe it's more than reverence and awe. There is, what he's saying here is, there is to be, in our lives, we are to be marked by a profound respect that God, God loves me. Yes, he is father, but he is also the judge. He is both of these things. He just says, if you call him, um, call on him as father who judges. He is the father and he is the judge. There is a kind of fear that Peter is talking about here that does not contradict confidence. Let me give an illustration of where I think we might see this, these two things kind of held together in our lives. Driving, okay? Like there's a confidence when I, when I drive. I get behind the wheel of a car. I get inside of it. Uh, it weighs more than I do, right? It goes faster than I can. It's stronger than I am. It can do things that I, I can't do. There's a confidence. But there is also a very profound and deep respect when I get behind the wheel of a vehicle of what it can do to me if I don't treat it rightly. There's a reverence. There is an awe. There is a respect. And there's a kind of fear that doesn't contradict confidence. But here he says, I want you to live in fear for two reasons. Most of the time when the Bible talks about not living in fear... It's talking about living in fear of man. 
living in fear of enemies. That's what it's talking about. So when he says here, conduct yourselves in fear while you are living as an exile. And then he says he gives two reasons why we should live in fear. Okay, why we should conduct ourselves with a kind of reverent, honorable, honorable fear. And I think it's directed towards the Lord. That's respectful. But the first one is this. We live in fear. Um, we live in fear of a judgment that is coming that would reveal that we never had genuine faith. Here's, here's the first fear that he talks about. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now listen to me very closely. Listen to me very closely. There is a judgment that you and I are going to face that is according to our works. This is all over the Bible. I'm going to give you one place here. Right here in 1 Peter, he says, A judgment according to your deeds. Your works are going to be taken into account on the final day when you stand before God in judgment. Let me give you one other place where we see this. I could give you three or four more and and about ten in the Old Testament where we see this. But look at... um, Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 9 and 10. He says, says this, Paul writes and says this, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what um, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the first fear that we have is living a life in such a way that our works reveal that we never had faith to begin with. Peter here is viewing works and faith the same way that James does in James chapter 2. Look at James chapter 2. I think it's going to be up there on your, on your screen as well. James chapter 2. Look at what James says here in James chapter 2, verse 17. James says this, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. So Peter and James are using the same definition and, and they're, they're tying together works and faith the same way that works and faith are not at odds with one another, okay? Um, but works are proof. Works are proof of genuine faith. When you begin to, when you are born of God and you begin to walk and live like God, God calls you to live, you begin to look like daddy, your works are evidence of genuine faith. Now, remember what I said, you got to keep the order right. Works don't earn you faith. That's not what I'm saying. But but Peter and James here are working with the same kind of thought process that works are proof of genuine faith. And he says, we we conduct ourselves in fear in that in, in this life in our deeds so that we do not live in such a way that at the final judgment there is zero Evidence to convict us as sons and daughters of the king. Works are 
proof. Works are, works are proof. But here's the second reason that he says to, to live in fear. Look down at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So here's the second thing. He says, live in, live in fear of your works revealing that you don't have faith. He says, and, and here's the second thing. Live in fear of treating the sacrifice of Christ as with contempt, as though it was meaningless. That the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross ultimately, because of the way that you live your life, reveals that his sacrifice means nothing to you. It means nothing to you. One pastor I read this week said this, in other words, fear God because you were redeemed with something that is infinitely valuable and, and that will not perish. Conduct yourselves in fear because Christ has paid infinitely to free you from perishing. Man, I never want to live life in such a way that I treat the sacrifice of Jesus as though it was meaningless to me. Don't, don't live that way. Live in hope. Think often about what is coming for you. Live in holiness. Be different. Start to look like your father. Live in fear. And the last thing here is down in verse 22. Live in love. Having purified our souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When you come to faith in Christ, you are empowered by God himself to love people well. I'm not saying it's not a struggle. I'm not saying there aren't people that sometimes you're like, you, you would want to pick and choose. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you have been empowered by God to love. We love because we have been born of God. This is what 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says, God is love, and everyone who loves is born of God. Everyone that loves is, how, how do I know that I've been born of God? What is, what is one of the marks that I have been born of God? That you love the brother and the sister well. It is a mark of being a believer, that you love the brethren earnestly. Your love for others, again, is evidence that you have been born of God. And it's how other people will know. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just now listen, this is where Jesus like ups the end here. Just as I have loved you. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Your love for other brothers and sisters is proof. So listen, when we come into the household of, of faith here, we are quick to forgive. We are quick to bear 
one another's burdens. We are quick to see a need in a brother and, or, or sister and rush to meet that need. We, we don't feel the need to bear burdens on our own because people love us. Listen, I mean, I've told you guys this before, um, but if you're near, I, I'm, I'm an optimist, man. Um, the glass is like always half full. Uh, I can always see like the bright side and everything. I'm just not one of, you know, my wife calls herself a realist. Um, I'm like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. Like the glass is always half full. This thing's going to work out in the end. This thing's going to go. Um, I just always saw the upside in things, in, in, in things. And about three and a half years ago, um, I was sitting at home on my couch and really for the second time in my life that I can remember, I was hit with anxiety. I didn't know what was happening. That I can only remember one other time I'd ever remembered feeling kind of anxious. It was when I was in college. This is like 20 years later. I'm sitting there. And the longer I sat there, the more anxious and the more panicked I got. I didn't know what was going on. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize what was happen, happening to me. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there and there's thoughts coming like... And I remember thinking like, Lord, what is, what is going on? My heart began to race and that began to mark a season of struggling for me that for some reason, the Lord, the Lord has given me to deal with the last three years. Up until that point in my life, I never had. And I remember one time when we were on vacation, some things began to happen to me and, and man, I was dealing with, with anxiety in a way that I was like, what is going on? And in that moment, I remember there's three brothers in the faith. And I texted all three of them. I called one of them. And I said, I have no idea what's going on. But man, I'm really starting to wrestle with like some anxiety, some things like that. I don't, I don't know what's happening here. Would, would, you, would you pray for me? And there over the phone, this brother just began to pray for me. Just pray for me. He didn't tell me to suck it up. He didn't tell me to grow up. He didn't tell me to, I, I was already telling myself all that stuff. Right, that stuff was already going on in my head. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Man, he just began to pray for me. I began to get texts back of, of, of these brothers that were just, man, I'm praying for you right now, quoting scripture to me. And, and man, it was the season where there was a weakness in me and brothers and sisters in the faith were loving me. And he says, when you get born into this family, one of the distinguishing marks about you is that your life begins to get marked by love. By love. So listen. What are markers in your life? Do you hope? I mean, chapter one is all about hope. He starts with hope. He talks about hope in verse seven again. He talks about hope in, in verse 13. And then he ends, he ends chapter one in verse um, 25 talking about hope. Like hope is all over there. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Do you think, even in the hard times, of what is coming for you on the day when Jesus returns? Are you, are you and I, are we pursuing holiness? Now listen to me very closely. I am not talking about cultural type holiness here. The standard that Peter gives here is God. And, and if we're not careful, 
we base our holiness on the unholiness of people around us. You know, it's like, all right, well, at least I'm not like Brian over there. If you're Brian, I'm just throwing a name out here. All right, man, at least I'm not like, and if we can't find, find anyone, we always have like Hitler, you know, at least I'm not like Hitler. Like we base our righteousness and we begin to base our, our holiness on the unholiness that we see in other people. Listen to me, not on the holiness of God. And I've been convicted by this this week as I've been studying, thinking about holiness. What are things in my, am I pursuing holiness and looking like the father looks? Is my life being marked by that in greater and greater and greater degrees as I grow in sanctification, as I grow in holiness? Is there a healthy fear? in your life, of treating the blood of Christ with contempt and, and not, not living a life of, of good works as, as proof, as evidence of the change that has happened. This is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no man can boast There's the gospel, 8 and 9. And then verse 10, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to perform good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in. There's works. Gospel first, what God has done. Now, what I do and my performing these good works is now proof of the gospel of God that's at work inside of my life. Does this mark you? Does this mark your life? And finally, do you, do you love people around you? Do you love people around you? Or, is, or, or do you feel like you have the, the, the spiritual gift of being a jerk? Like, is that your spiritual gift? Or, or listen, listen, can you hold grudges with the best of them? I mean, you've got grudges from third grade PE that you're still holding on to. And if you ever saw so-and-so again, does bitterness mark your life? Jealousy, envy, or I'm not saying it's easy. And I know myself well enough to know that, that there had to be some hard times that, um, for, for, for people to love me. But is, is, is your life more and more marked by love? I want to end with this. Look down at verse 23. I want to close with this and then I'll be done, okay? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The most important question that you have to ask tonight before you start asking, is my life marked by, by hope and holiness and fear and love? The most important question that you have to ask tonight is, have I ever been born of God? And he says here, you're born of God by this imperishable seed through the living word of God. It's through the living word of God that you hear about Jesus and faith is awakened, that you respond. Listen, I just want to say this tonight as I close. 
all man's efforts are perishable. Listen to me. You are not a Christian because you were born into a Christian home. You are not an apprentice of Jesus just because you went to church camp or VBS. You are not an apprentice of Jesus. You are not a Christian because you were born in America. You are not a Christian, listen to me, because you are a moral person who tries to be nice. That is perishable seed. All right? You are a Christian if you have been born again through believing the word of God about Jesus. So listen to me very closely. God created you and loves you. He, he's create, he owns you. He's created you. You are his creation and he loves you. But you and your sinfulness have rebelled against him. You have hated him. You have mocked him through your actions and through your affections. And now you stand guilty before him. You stand guilty before him. And there is nothing that you can barter with him with. There is nothing that you can trade For your life, there is nothing that you can do to atone or make restitution for your sin. And you are doomed to judgment. But God, listen, this is the good news. But God in his mercy, patience and love has sent Jesus to atone and make restitution. Through his life, death and resurrection so that anyone, now listen to me, so that Anyone who turns away from sin in their own efforts, that's called repentance, and puts their hope only in Jesus, that's called faith, have their sins forgiven, life given, and a relationship with their creator restored. It is a free gift offered by a merciful God. Has that ever happened to you? Because to be born of the word of God is to believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ with all of your heart to repent and turn away from your sin and put your faith in this king. You may not remember the day, the time, but as you look at your life right now, would you know that you have trusted Jesus and that you have been born of God? Man, if you don't know tonight, I want to talk with you. If you're wrestling with that question, I want to have a conversation with you. Because we serve a great God that loves to save. And when he saves, everything about life begins to change for you and me. Everything. Let's pray.